You're listening to Money Talks, uh, brought to you by Solera Club. Coming up, I've got shocking stats of the week. And again, those stats seem to upset people. Got a uh, goofy award. Oh, this one's guaranteed to get some people's dander up. But uh, first off, I've got Aaron Dunn on the line with me. Big week in the markets. Greg Weldon on deck here. Uh, Lots to talk about. Uh, Aaron, let's just start with... uh, you know, bottom line, you see this kind of a week there. You focus on things like uh, what quality yield is out there, companies uh, that kind of meet your criterion. Do you stand back after a week like this or during that week and say, I think I'm just going to hold off on everything? Well, the, generally the, the advice we're giving to investors right now is that um, we do see a lot of opportunities out there, but that doesn't mean you need to, to move forward full force right now and buy a lot of mm-hmm. stocks. We would be buyers right now of select opportunities. But we really think you have to take your time. Um, the, the opportunities are good, but there's no sign that the volatility is going to cease in the near term. So there could be better opportunities in the future. So, for instance, if we were to have a client come aboard our service right now and start building their portfolio, we would advise them generally to build that portfolio over a period of 6 to 12 months or even longer. And that gives you the opportunities to benefit from some of the, um, some of the volatility that we're seeing now but then you're not going to get caught um, in, in, in additional volatility if, say, you to go fully invested at this point in time. Um, you just you, you kind of layer into positions. You, if you're, there's a company that you're interested in that's come down, you don't have to buy a full position. You can start with a half position or a quarter position and just basically see how things go and, and, and invest your, your capital over time. That's the way to play a market like this because nobody's going to be able to tell you where the bottom is. Um, there are opportunities, but you just you, you want to be patient. And when you're looking at, you know, the focus that you do at Keystone Financial is you're looking at uh, yield plays. I mean, that's been the big challenge for investors in this kind of low interest rate environment. I certainly didn't see anything in this week uh, when you come out of China and you see the repercussions ripple through the rest of the world. I don't see anything there that suggests that interest rates should go up right now. No, no. Interesting, actually, is is a lot of people are focused on what's going on in the U.S. right now with, with the Fed increasing their rate. But since that's happened, long bond yields have actually gone down. Not a lot, but they have gone down. And that's really the yield that matters to, to a dividend stock. Um, in, in one respect, um, when, they're, when they're borrowing capital to invest in their business, to expand the business, they're, they're borrowing at longer-term rates generally. Um, and then also, mm-hmm. it's, it's typically the 5 to 10-year rate that competes with, with dividend yields. So, I mean, right now, even if, even if we do see bond yields and interest rates go up, and I mean, that would actually be a good thing for the economy. It's a greater risk if they stay lower for longer. But even if we see that happen, I mean, they're still so incredibly low on a historical basis. They could go up quite a bit from here, and you're still going to, that, that, that's not going to impact a lot of these dividend stocks right now. But given the fear that we've seen, I mean, we're, some, some of the yields of some of these high-quality dividend stocks, I mean, they've not been this high since, uh, since the financial crash of 2008-2009. And in, in a lot of cases, the, the businesses are, are progressing just fine, solid free cash flow, covering their dividend and growing their dividend as well. So certainly opportunities, um, but you just have to be selective with those opportunities and you have to be patient. And of course, when we talk about names here on this show, you have to talk with your financial advisor or see where it fits in your portfolio. Uh, depends on what the makeup is right now. Uh, you know, one of the things we've been talking about is having a large cash component. Uh, not because I knew what was going on, it's because I knew I didn't know what was going on. I mean, the volatility is so great. Uh, I think there is a downward bias in it. And I really like Aaron's advice. You sort of step back a little bit. You don't have to make all or none decisions. But maybe you could give us a couple of stocks that have kind of 
become more interesting for you uh, that people could put on their radar screen? Yeah, absolutely. So the first company that I'm going to talk about is Exchange Income Corp. So the symbol of this company is EIF. This is, uh, this is a stock in our aggressive portfolio. For disclosure, I also want to position myself. Um, we put a buy recommendation out on the company at the end of 2014, and they, they did about a 32% total return, so capital appreciation and dividend, in 2015. So in a down market, this is a company that's really set itself apart and demonstrated an excellent and resi- resilient business model. Looking at 2016, we are expecting to see continued growth. Um, what they are is they're a highly diversified, primarily a highly diversified specialty aviation company. So they do things like um, uh, government contracts to supply remote communities and, and medevac services, fire suppression. They also do airborne surveillance, aircraft leasing, design, manufacturing, and several other things as well. Um, at the start of 2015, they completed a major acquisition. And with that acquisition, as well as, as organic growth in their existing business, they almost doubled um, revenues and free cash flow. Um, so they also cut their, their payout ratio in half, and right now they're yielding about 7.5%, and the dividend was increased twice last year. So paying out about 60% of free cash flow right now, that's what we consider a, a sustainable, healthy payout ratio. Um, when we're looking at 2016, we, we expect free cash flow to continue to grow. Um, this is mostly the result of organic growth with them investing into their into their businesses, um, expanding their fleet and whatnot. But then there's also the added potential of another acquisition that could really further accelerate growth um, in this year or or next. So, this is just really an excellent example of a company that um, that is is differentiating itself from from the overall market and from the overall economy. It's trading right now at a price to free cash flow multiple of less than ten times. So even with the strong um, share price appreciation still very attractively valued company this year um, since the start of the year like everything else it's it's down probably about you know uh, five to to ten percent so we would see that as an opportunity because the outlook for this business continues to be strong um, the valuation is 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 very reasonable right now and then you've got that really nice juicy dividend that's that's gonna gonna continue to grow uh, the symbol on that is EIF uh, give me just one more quickly Sure. So I'm going to talk about a company called Altagas. Um, the symbol is ALA. It's in our moderate portfolio. So this is a company where the share price was actually hit really hard in 2015. But it's, uh, I, we believe that that was highly undeserved. It's, it's basically a, a utilities company with a, with a growth profile. So they've been investing heavily into their business over the last five years. They've been growing their dividend. Um, they've been investing in assets that are Rate that generate a regulated rate of return or that are, are contracted. So very stable revenue generation, very stable free cash flow generation supports that growing dividend. Um, the dividend was increased just last year by 12%, but a really tough year for the share price in 2015. And, and for some reason it, it was classified, it's been being classified as an energy services company, but really, like I said, it's more of a utility. And if we do look at a situation here where the economy um, enters into recession or we just have a prolonged period of low global growth, then utilities, that, that's an area where investors want to go for, for safety of capital. Um, you, you put your money in there, you generate a, a sustainable dividend, and then you just wait the volatility out. So that's generally what we're expecting from Altagas. Um, cash flow was fairly flat last year, but they're expecting growth again this year in 2016. And for the next uh, three to five years, at least, and we're expecting the dividend to continue to grow. So right now, it's yielding about six 
6.5%, which for a company like this is, is an outstanding yield, considering that the dividend is increasing and the payout ratio is reasonable. And the valuation relative to free cash flow right now as well is, um, is at a level that we haven't seen since probably 2009. Uh, interesting stuff as always. Now, Aaron is going to be at the World Outlook Conference along with uh, Ryan Irvine, who will present the World Outlook small cap portfolio. So you get a chance to sit. One of the best things about that is to get a chance to ch- chat to our analysts and go and ask them your personal questions. Uh, they're there for their uh, Aaron Dunn will be there with uh, Keystone, and you can find them at www.keystocks.com. www keystocks.com and there is a special money talks offer there so you want to take advantage of that uh uh, aaron many thanks for taking the time i look forward to seeing you at the outlook absolutely we'll see you there thank you i'll take i'll take a break i've got greg weldon on deck hey china all those implications how's it ripple through the rest of the market also we've got aussie jurek hey uh, is the chinese problem going to positively or negatively impact upper end real estate in toronto and vancouver maybe even spread their wings into calgary and i've got victor adair who's got the sweatsuit on after quite a week live at the trading desk all that coming your way Coming up, I've got a shocking stat, a set of stats, actually, shocking stat. It's going to be an interesting one, how people react to these ones. It's that old reality is difficult, let's say, for some people. Well, we got a real taste of reality this week, obviously, with uh, what went on in China, the ripple effect through the Canadian dollar, through other currencies, obviously through the stock markets. And Greg Weldon is here. I, as soon as this stuff started happening, I said, I got to get Greg Weldon on to chat with me about this because uh, his global impact is, uh, or, or outlook, his ability to delve through the numbers and sort of peel back all the layers to figure out what the heck is going on is why so many other analysts read Greg's work. Uh, Greg, first of all, appreciate you taking the time. And let me, we got to just get right to it. Let's start with that impact of China, you know, the 7% drop you know, in their Monday trading, their Thursday trading, the closing of the markets, the rest of the market sure didn't like it, uh, amongst other things. Worst start to the year, uh, you know, for the S&P in history. Man, can you put this in perspective? Well, I think there's a lot more going on than just China. I don't ascribe this volatility specifically to China. I think China is really reacting to what happened in 2015. If you recall, our 2015 outlook piece, specifically targeted the Chinese renminbi as a currency that was likely to be devalued in 2015. And while it took 10 months for us to be, uh, to be on spot with that, uh, it definitely you know, happened. But it was following all the other currencies that have gotten just annihilated in 2015. If you recall, you know, going all the way back to 2014, we wrote the Peso Wars piece talking about Argentina, the former Soviet republics, Kazakhstan uh, specifically, and those currencies devalued. This has been going on for two years. And you have now 20 major currencies, not major, but 20 tradable, exchangeable currencies in the world that against which the dollar has rallied by 50% or more in the last five years. Those 20 currencies, including India, account for 59.6% of the global population. So you cannot possibly have 60% of the world have their uh, purchasing power of their currency uh, divided by half and not expect to have some kind of, you know, uh, extenuating circumstances from around that. Specifically, we're looking for, you know, a, an economic slowdown globally 
that really has already started, and we're into it. And, I mean, the Fed is now tightening into this situation. So, you know, it's, the Fed has to be very careful here. I don't think the Fed at all wants the dollar to go higher because it puts pressure on emerging market currencies. You have a trade issue. You have commodities down. It's a, it's a vicious catch-22 dynamic here that we're in. And uh, this is going to go on for a while. And I'll, I'll point out very quickly, too, that within the most recently released FOMC minutes from their meeting in December when they hiked rates, they mentioned the dollar appreciation seven times. I can't remember minutes within the last two years where they mentioned the dollar more than once. So they are very aware of this, and I think that this really you know, puts the Fed on the hot seat here going forward. It's not about China. This is about the Fed and the U.S. dollar. Well, our, our top stories coming into the next year were China, the strength of the U.S. dollar, and for Canada, of course, you appreciate, Greg, you know, how much further is the commodity decline going to go because it's, it's crushing government revenues. We've had about 100,000 layoffs uh, related, especially in the oil industry, of course. We got oil breaking to new you know, kind of relative low, short-term lows here as it broke below $34. You know, my goodness, uh, Western Canada Select crew, the you know Canadian crew getting produced, uh, it was down in the $18 level. So those are the big stories, and, and you're right. Uh, and by the way, I'll let people know that Greg did a, a fantastic, uh, video uh, series uh, that he's got uh, on his site. Uh, one of them is all about the currency wars and how to profit from them. And it's called It's Deja Vu All Over Again, Profiting from the Global Currency Wars. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that in a couple of minutes. But, uh, man, this is on point to what's going on. Uh, the, the other one that, of course, you've, you've done some work on very recently, and I'll tell people about it. But, again, just a quick snapshot, Greg. Uh, we did see gold rise this week, I think, in response to these gyrations you're alluding to. Uh, you know, it, everybody's got to, is asking, you know, is, is sort of the bottom in place on that? I kind of think so. I mean, we, we started liking gold last year, and we were early. Uh, we were wrong, you know, so far. We got out. We got stopped out just from a money management perspective. But we're back in, and we're back in really as of this week. And I think, you know, you have a lot more going on here, too, even, you know, going forward. You have the Saudi real, which is pegged to the dollar. You have the, the, the currency in Qatar. You have the currency in the UAE, the, the DRAM. I mean, all these currencies are pegged to the dollar. And you look at the non-deliverable forwards, which is, you know, the speculative area of the market, uh, it's moving to the point where pressure is really now on these OPEC countries. To me, this is kind of the next domino to go. And within that context, you bring it back to gold. I mean, you know, the Fed for, you know, since 2009, when they started expanding their balance sheet, they reflated the stock market. They facilitated borrowing by the consumer again. I mean, you kind of got into the situation where it's not the housing market, which has now been borrowed against as a collateral base, which obviously can go down in price and did. It's the stock market, and it's not the banks right now. It's the consumer. So from that perspective, uh, the Fed has basically you know, forced people into riskier assets, taken them out of safe havens like bonds and gold, and basically said, we've got your back. We're the safety net. You don't need gold as a safe haven anymore because you have us. Well, guess what? They just pulled away that safety net, and they're walking the tightrope above this cavern here. And, uh, you know, I just don't see how this ends well without gold benefiting at some point. And I really think that the dollar is key to this. The dollar, obviously, dollar strength has kept gold at bay. But I think that period is coming to an end. And uh, I think that uh, 2016 could really turn out to be a surprise in terms of, you know, what happens with the dollar and how that impacts gold and the broader commodity markets as well. 
It is incredible, though. What a start to the year. Uh, well, I mean, as you say, it's a continuation of these other major trends and the volatility continues. But, man, if this hasn't got people's attention, I'm not sure what would. Uh, what, what's, I mean, I'm going to get a chance to talk to you at the World Outlook Conference also. But uh, just very quickly, Greg, what, what kind of message do you want to send? You know, I know it's a cliche, but the average investor right now. Protection. Be safe. Find your own safe haven. The Fed is not there protecting your back anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with either A, being in cash, because I think this is not a stock market globally. I mean, you have markets breaking down everywhere. Uh, all the Asian markets have broken down this week. The Philippines, Thailand, Taiwan. I mean, you, you take your pick. They're all down. India, even, which has been a, a stellar upside performer until now, broke down this week. This is not going to be one of those quick flips to the downside, and it comes right back because the Fed is not there as the backstop. Um, so my message would be there's nothing wrong with being in cash, and uh, I absolutely advocate uh, some portion of wealth stored in the precious metals more so than ever right here, right now, and then we did last year or even going all the way back to 2005 and 2006 when we you know, got really bullish on the metals. I kind of feel it's similar here. Uh, it's different, but it's similar. And uh, gold has been disinvested. I mean, the ETFs are completely sold out. Uh, you have a short position speculatively in the futures market. Uh, you have, you know, all kinds of stuff going on with the physical market. You've got Chinese uh, central bank buying gold, adding to the reserves as their foreign exchange reserves decline. The Chinese are very smart. They're very astute traders. They always have been. And they are selling dollars and buying gold. And I think that's a pretty loud message to the average Joe in America right there. Well, as I say, I'll get a chance to talk to Greg. I, I, by the way, I've got a, a special. I mentioned Greg's just done, just done for subscribers, uh, you know, profiting from the global currency wars, gold, precious metals, mining shares in 2016, and how to profit from El Nino. I'm going to give you details of that because I've got a special offer for you on that. But in the meantime, my thanks to Greg Weldon. I'll come back with those details and a shocking stat in just a couple of minutes on the Chorus Radio Network. Coming up, uh, a Goofy Award. I get asked all the time, or I, I got this comment a couple times this week where they say, you know, when you're presenting things that, uh, you know, that just are part of the economic background, that are just sort of factual in nature, like my shocking stat is, uh, can't people get it? And I said, will you wait till you hear my Goofy this week, the response I got to something I said last week, and it'll show you how hopeless the situation is for some people. Uh, by the way, Greg Weldon, just before the break, uh, as I said, he had done a a special video report called Profiting from the Global Currency Wars. He just released that, uh, and he just released another one called Time to Rise and Shine, Gold, Precious Metals, and Mining Shares in 2016, and It's Hot in Here, How to Profit from El Nino. Every one of those videos is available to our subscribers or our, our listeners. Just go to moneytalks.net. Now, we have a special offer for them, uh, $59.95 for each video, but you can get all three for $129.95. Talking specific recommendations, uh, especially if you're in the mining share industry, but also how to profit from the incredible currency movements we're seeing. And as I said, our, our straightforward recommendation about two and a half years ago to get uh, a huge chunk of your investment assets into the U.S. dollar, well, that's yielded well over 40% for people. I mean, currencies are where the action is. He has a special report called Profiting from the Global Currency War. So you can simply go to moneytalks.net. You'll see it right there. So take advantage of the special outlook, uh, rather special bundle for that. Uh, as I say, $129.95 for all three. 
This week's shocking stat. You know, one of the issues we've been warning about for several years is a shortfall in public sector pensions. That's what bankrupted Detroit already, Stockton, California. They've got Chicago into junk bond status. It's just going to bankrupt Puerto Rico. But this is another one, for some reason, of these hate mail subjects, because I'm pointing out that the way for the pensions to survive is they've got to have performance out of their pension investments. That's why I've always found the attacks by public sector labor elites, you know, pushing policies that every analyst would say, no, that's hurtful for pensions. That's hurtful for pensions. That's going to hurt your pension investments. That's why I find it so puzzling. But clearly, a lot of people get very offended when I point that out. But it's still a fact nonetheless, rather. So this week's stat, you ready? The U.S. now has a $1 trillion public sector pension gap covering 24 million workers. One of the things we've said in this show very consistently, don't just look at the federal left, whether it's the states or in Europe. You've got to look where the real problems, I think, are going to take place at the municipal and the state level or the province level. That's what we're seeing in the states. Let me give you some background. A trillion dollar unfunded public sector pension liability. Since 2009, 25 out of the 34 states that had Democratic governors have cut retirement benefits for public sector workers. About the same percentage in the states as Republican governments. In other words, it doesn't matter who's in power. I don't know why people can't get this. It's about the math. I mentioned last week, Pennsylvania has a $50 billion shortfall for their public sector pensions. $50 billion. It illustrates the problem for taxpayers and retirees alike. Because increasing amount of tax revenues are going to pensions as opposed to government services. The state projects to spend 43% more this year out of general tax revenue on pensions than it did just a couple of years ago. And that number is going to grow by another 50% in the next five years. Look, there's only a couple ways of handling this, but it will change. You can raise the age of early retirement or general retirement. You can raise contributions from the workers themselves, or you can reduce payouts. Here's the point. The math is coming. You know, it's a great example of I've been talking about this for several years. Why? Because once it hit, it's too late. It's too late in Chicago. It is too late in Detroit. Too late in Puerto Rico. I mean, how much more evidence do we need? We have to change our way of thinking. The demographic shift is so powerful. And yet there's a stat for you. And believe me, there'll be a ton of people who this will make no difference. They haven't changed their worldview, I mean, in decades. U.S. has a a trillion dollar public sector unfunded pension gap. And the states, the state level is in real trouble. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got Ozzy Jurek. Now, this big problem in China we've been talking about today, is that good or bad for real estate like in Toronto or Vancouver? We'll talk about it. Plus, Victor Dare, live from the trading desk. Well, you'd have to have been in a coma to miss the incredible action that went on this week, starting right away from the get-go on Monday. Uh, lots of reasons for it, but one of the big stories, of course, was the Chinese market, 7% decline on their Monday trading, which closed the markets. It happened again on the Thursday trading, one of uh, several big stories this week. But 
China's had a huge impact on Canada. Obviously, uh, they've been a major player in keeping resource prices up, and their decline economically has been one of the reasons that resource prices are down. But the other side of that coin is the amazing impact that we've chronicled, and I'll say way before anyone else, the impact was going to be on upper-end real estate as people in China sit there and choose... uh, you know, they want safety for their money. One of the choices has been Vancouver and Toronto real estate for sure. Other assets in Canada and certainly in the resource sector in Alberta. Uh, but you see it in Sydney and Melbourne. You see it the upper end, the top tier choices like $10 million plus real estate in New York. You see it in Los, uh, London, rather. A big thing here. So here you've got the Chinese market problems. What does it mean? Well, Ozzy Jurek joins me on the line right now. Ozzy, let's start off with that. I mean, one of the first things I thought of was, you know, the Vancouver real estate at the upper end has been uh, supported and pushed to uh, record highs, and a lot of it has been uh, international money led by China coming in. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, China had its own real estate crash first, uh, probably in 2014, then everybody went into the stock market, then that crashed in, in July. And that started a huge outflow of money. Apparently, just 110 billion uh, private money alone came out in October. And so there's always that fear in, in the Chinese population that there might be currency controls. With all of these reasons, the money is coming out, and it's looking for more safety. It's not safe in Chinese real estate. It's not safe, in, uh, in their opinion, in their own uh, real estate market. And so cash uh, real estate is a good thing. Now, the Chinese are the biggest foreign buyers of U.S. housing, $28 billion last year, which is double that the Canadians do. And so that flow has created an imbalance. I mean, our upper end, as you pointed out, we had at 3.3 million on the west side uh, on an average price. That's kind of crazy. But it hasn't so far spilled out um, in in great uh, message into the smaller communities, but it is spilling right now into the Fraser Valley. But I think it's not just the Chinese investment. The real reason is our low dollar. The U.S. is coming back with a vengeance into Whistler. The U.S. buyers, they look at our, our low dollar. We are safe, we are secure, and we are cheap. And so that distorts from the Middle East money, European money, and Chinese money distorts our market, and it's getting serious. Well, the thing is, is it, you, I'm glad you've brought up the currency because people have to remember, I was chatting with someone, a friend of mine, just yesterday about, you know, in quotes, when is this going to end? Well, I said, you've got to remember, if you're an American buyer of real estate two years ago, you've got to break even, despite the fact in Canadian dollar terms, you take single detached housing in Vancouver and you're up, you know, this compounding 20%. Well, we've had a 40% decline in the currency over the last two plus years. Uh, and the Chinese currency has also risen, you know, I'm uh, quick off the top of my head, somewhere around 22, 25% against the Canadian. So we've put our markets on sale. Yeah, no question about it. And the big question this week was one of my subscribers says, look, all that money that came from Hong Kong in the early 90s went back between 96 and 98, and it dropped our prices in Vancouver by 20%. And that's true, but I think there was a different reason. Hong Kong was being repatriated. China actually did a good job uh, repatriating Hong Kong into the mainland China. And so all the money that had come here went back to play. I think that's different now. The money that's here, I think, is likely to stay because it left for a reason of fear and, uh, and wanted to have some certainty and safety. And certainly when you close a stock market, I made this point earlier with Jill Bennett saying, you know what, your, your stock's worth zero if you can't sell it. You know, so when you close the market and you close it on Monday and then on Thursday, they'd already done that before uh, coming in late June into early ju- uh, July, plus a whole bunch of other 
uh, edicts, including putting a journalist in jail who wrote that there had been a crash. I mean, that's hardly confidence building when you're sitting there. Plus, they're sitting on top of a mountain of what they call shadow bank debt. Uh, you know, that they're worried about their property market, as you say. It started to show its cracks over a year ago. Now you've got the stock market. Yeah, I think people with big money are sitting there going, I, would, I don't mind some diversification out of this country. And so, yeah, I think typical reaction, by the way, was a stronger U.S. dollar. Uh, we got stronger gold, which will remains to be seen whether that's a, that's a significant uptrend, but stronger U.S. dollar is consistent. Uh, you know, money pouring into U.S. treasuries, it's the same old stuff. So, yeah, I'd expect to see some of that money after the initial shock heading our way to Canada again. No question. And like Greg Weldon says, it's not just China. I mean, Taiwan, China, uh, yeah. Philippines, India, and Europe. There's so much uncertainty that the number one thing is safety and security. I mean, even the illustrious Kevin O'Leary said that his fund is 35% in cash. Can you imagine of being a fund manager and it's 35% in yeah. cash? There's a lot of fear out there, and, and rightfully so, uncertain times. Well, you're going to be at the Outlook Conference. It's, I'm very excited about this. Uh, you know, 1 o'clock on Friday, January 29th, we're doing a special whole section on real estate, thanks to Ozzy Jurek. And we're talking about what are the hot markets, what are the markets to stay away from. And the track record of Ozzy and his uh, analysts has been absolutely excellent in that way. Where to p- put your money, where to stay out. So uh, that, this just, to me, makes it even more pertinent to be there if you're interested in real estate on that. Uh, Ozzy, you've got time for maybe a quick hot deal. Yeah, we have a quick hot deal in Langley and is an estate sale listed at $1.7 million. It's, uh, it, uh, the, the interesting thing about it is that it's $1.7 million, but a recent sale in November 24th, just very, very close by, went over $2 million. So there's about a $370,000 upside with some lipstick necessary. Of course, no guarantees, but uh, we'll, put, we'll put a couple of those on the website. Okay, great stuff. Uh, all you have to do is go to www.jurok.com, J-U-R-O-C-K.com. You click on the hot property button there, and you can get the information in and say, I'm really looking forward to the World Outlook uh, Conference. Ozzy's going to say best buys in Canada, best buys in the U.S., all sorts of stuff. Uh, very good recommendations, by the way, last year. He told us specifically, uh-uh, don't like Calgary, don't like Houston, don't like Edmonton. That obviously played out. So... I hope to see you at the World Outlook Conference. You can go to moneytalks.net, click on the events button, get your tickets. I'll come back. Victor Dare is live from the trading desk, plus I've got my goofy. Hi, did you hear me there? I was just saying we start off the week big time. It seemed like everything went down to begin the week. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it seemed to me, Mike, that things were down harder than you would have expected this week. And I, I looked around and I thought, you know, why? Okay, we had the news out of North Korea, the news about Saudi Arabia, Iran, and so on. But I'm going to focus on China, and I think what actually happened in China, two things, the stock market activity, but also in the foreign exchange market, the Chinese currency was weakening. And, I, and as Ozzy was just mentioning, there has been a... Uh, the, the flow of money leaving China has turned into a torrent. It makes you wonder if people there see the writing on the wall. They're trying to get their money out maybe before they can't. And I'll tell you a way that we see that. There are two markets for the Chinese currency. It's kind of like when you go into a lot of countries, they've got the official rate, and then there's the black market rate, you know, what you can get on the street if you want to tr- change U.S. dollars for the local currency. They've got the onshore and the offshore yuan market for China. The spread between those two markets 
is widening. It's the widest it's ever been. And to me, that's a sign of non-confidence. And I think it's causing the rest of the world, because we've known all along that there's all kinds of problems in China. You know, it is a, it is a um, I don't know, an extreme case of way more money has been borrowed than will ever be paid back. We've known about these problems, but we thought, okay, the authorities over there are in control. You know, things will go along. And I think what's been happening this week is it's kind of a, I call it an existential question. We've got to ask, are the authorities still in control over there? And by gosh, if that's starting to change, then that changed the whole, the whole landscape. Uh, let's talk very quickly, uh, come to what you're looking at in the markets on that kind of stuff. I mean, right across the board, it seemed like all the trends were still in place. You know, Canadian dollar down to that now, the 70 cent change, under 34 for West Texas intermediate crude, uh, euro lost money. It just seems that, you know, we're back on board with these major trends about a stronger U.S. dollar, et cetera. I think maybe in a word, if things are, if the problems that we've been aware of in China are actually going to bubble up, then the key word is deflation. I think the deflationary trend continues, which puts pressure on commodities, commodity currencies, and, you know, let's call it over-levered assets. I think that that would be the worry. I think, just like Greg was saying, being in cash is a real good idea. I like that. The, the, the best trade that I've got on that I like right now is I've been making a bet here the last couple of weeks that the Federal Reserve in the United States is not going to be increasing rates as much as the market had thought they were or as the Fed forecast they were. And certainly if the deflationary trend comes back, you know, this is all about Gary Schilling, who's been on the show many times. I, I think that is, that's, that's the way I want to bet right now. I think that's what the market's worried about. I think people are backing away from the market and saying, okay, let's give it a little time, see what happens here, but I'm going to be cautious in the meantime. Well, we'll be here to chronicle it, Victor. Thanks so much. Great start to the new year. <laughs> Very dramatic start to the new year, for sure. Thanks. <laughs> there you go. Uh, my thanks to Victor. My thanks to Michael uh, Aaron Dunn. Uh, my thanks to Greg Weldon. Uh, you know, great stuff uh, today. So much to talk about uh, when we do this. Uh, remember, the BC Tech Conference is coming up. Uh, as I say, the list is a long one in Aussie Jurek, of course. Uh, time now, and by the way, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Now, that's a royalty-based investment, meaning you get paid first. Uh, it's also uh, no fees attached to it. It's in the tech sector. So if you want more information, go to soleraclub.com. This brings me to my Goofy Award this week. I can't remember doing this before, but I want to give you a glimpse into what I think is representative of all that's wrong with people who think politics first. Last week, I made a comment regarding the grandstanding in the objecting to Donald Trump. You know, this TV celebrity makes ridiculous, unworkable promises, including restricting all Muslim immigration. Well, my point was, hey, how come you're just pointing on that? That whole U.S. system's going nutty right now. And one of the examples I gave was, why are you remaining silent? Uh, you know, there's a suspicious silence regarding Bill Clinton's sexual, uh, serial adultery, sexual ex exploitation of Monica Lewinsky, violence toward women. Now, here's the goofy. I was blown away by the number of people willing to excuse his behavior. The most common excuses, it's his personal life. Are you kidding I mean, every one of those, uh, Juanita Broderick, Paula Jones, Kathleen Wiley, 
all has something to do with his professional life. Monica Lewinsky was a 20-year-old intern when a 50-year-old president took advantage of her in the Oval Office on numerous occasions. That's not a personal matter. Another favorite. Oh, yeah? Well, look at what Donald Trump's insulting statement about women. Are you kidding? Does that include sexual, does that excuse rather sexual assault? My personal favorite. He wasn't convicted of anything. Really? Lying under oath? Yeah, disbarred. Hello? Think of what these people are excusing, defending for what a political preference? Come on! Putting politics before principle is more common than we might like to think. You know, after reading some of those emails, I needed to take a shower. Go out and have a great weekend.